0: Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Um, Let's pray together as we come into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to come here, uh, to worship together, to praise your name. We watched that video of Guatemala and we are grateful, Father, that you've given us resources and skills and the ability to go and help our brothers and sisters in Christ um, around the world. And just, um, it's so cool to see what we can do in partnership with other believers around the world. And so I pray, Father, that you would open more doors of opportunity for our church to go global. Uh, to see what we can accomplish around the world in partnership with other believers. Um, Father, we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we pray that you'd open the doors there. We pray for our service this morning as we come into your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you inform us? Would you lead us into all truth? Would you guide us and convict us? Let us be open to what you are saying to us today in your word. Let us hear and respond. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. A few years ago when I was um, a pastor in Drumheller, our church had the privilege of becoming a home church For a lot of the recovering drug and alcohol addicts in our community, uh, we had a recovery house in Drumheller and there was one guy at that recovery house um, who was one of those like really charismatic guys who like everyone kind of looked up to him and followed him and he ended up attending our church and because he attended our church, a whole bunch of the guys from the recovery house started attending our church. We had like a whole section and then it was really fun when we had like the addicts and then we had prisoners from the prison who would come in like once a month and we'd have like the addicts and then we'd have the prisoners and then we'd have the prison guards and You know, it was like a very weird mix um, of people. But one of the things that happened when we had these addicts coming in is there was a couple of those guys who, once they graduated out of the program, most of them moved away, but there was a few who stayed. And there was a few who stayed in our church. Um... for a a season, and and a lot of them saw me sort of as their pastor. I mean, this was their church, I was their pastor, and so I had the privilege of kind of walking with them as a spiritual support as they graduated from this program, tried to live sober, recovering lives. And some of the guys were doing it really well, and some of the guys were what I might call a relapsing, recovering alcoholic, right? So the intention is to recover, Uh, the relapses are still a reality. And the more I talked with some of the guys who struggled with relapsing, the more I started to realize that the temptation for them to drink was not just a temptation to drink. The relapses came only when they began to believe the lies that would go through their minds. There was these recurring thoughts that they would have, and there was all sorts of lies that they would believe that would lead these guys back down the road of drinking. For example, if they'd been doing good for a few months, and work was going well, and and, everything was kind of coming together for them finally, the lie would come in, You deserve a beer for all that hard work. Look at you, you've got this thing beat. You've been clean for six months, seven months. You can have a beer. Just that internal thought was at its core, it's a lie. right? The truth was they can't have just one drink because for them, it's never one drink. Even if it's one drink that night, it will always snowball into more. And actually, sometimes a lie gets deeper rooted Because they do have just one drink that one time. And they go, look at me. I've got it. But it never stays there. It never stays there. Other times, the lie would come into their mind and it would be this. It's been a rough week. It's been a hard day. You tried to reconcile with a family member and they rejected you. You need a drink to take the edge off. If they believe that lie, they'll go down that road. Now under these lies, there's even deeper lies that were internalized. There was one guy who the lie that he constantly believed was this, you're good for nothing. And the reason he had that lie is because that's what his dad said to him all the time when he was growing up, you're good for nothing, you're good for nothing. Constantly heard that, and that was a lie that he started to internalize. When he believed he was good for nothing, he lived as if he was good for nothing. And then there was the lies of the family members to some of them who said, you're going to be just like your dad. Dad was an alcoholic. And that was the lie that he believed. You're going to be just like your dad. So, okay, well, I'll just give up. I might as well just, I'll be who who everyone says I am. So all of these lies, these internal narratives is what would actually push these guys towards the temptation to drink. When they believed the lies, they would drink. And so what I realized is the main battle was a battle of the mind and a battle to believe truth over lies. It wasn't a matter of willpower. It was a matter of belief. So nothing, wor- you can't go to alcoholics or drug acts and say, you know, just don't. Just use your willpower. Just be stronger, because it's not about their willpower. It's about the lies that have been spoken into their life that they believe. So we're talking about temptation today, the part of the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I shared the battles of these recovering alcoholics, because I think it helps us understand what temptation really is. So temptation is deceptive thoughts and lies that run through our mind, giving us the choice to act on them or reject them. And the battle with temptation is not really a matter of willpower, this this idea of I'll just try really hard not to do wrong things. Battling temptation is not about having more willpower. It's really a matter of replacing the lies you are believing with truth and choosing to act according to truth and not lies. John Mark Comer has a book all about this. It's called Live No Lies. I highly recommend it. And he shares the story of a 4th century monk named Evagrius to explain what temptation really is. And so this is what John Mark Comer writes. He says, Late in the 4th century, a young intellectual named Evagrius Ponticus went into the desert of Egypt to fight the devil, as you do. Evagrius had read the story of Jesus going out into the desert to face the devil head on, and he intended to follow Jesus' example. I just want to pause here and say 4th century monks were a weird breed of people. Uh, Most people are not doing this, but I will say this. In their weirdness, some very beautiful things were revealed. Soon the word got out. There was a crazy monk out in the middle of nowhere at war with the devil, and the rumors said that he was winning this battle. So he became a sought-after spiritual guide. Spiritual seekers would brave the dangers of the elements, trying to locate Evagrius and learn from him what he was learning. And before Evagrius' death, a fellow monk named uh, Lucius asked him to write down his strategy to overcome the devil. And as a result, Evagrius wrote a short book, which you can buy on Amazon today. It's called Talking Back. A Monastic Handbook for Combating Demons, which is a great title. Like, if, like, I bet you there's people out there like, I wish I had that book title, but I can't because Evagrius did it in the fourth century. In the 400s, this guy got it. That's like a publishing house is like, man, that guy, we could have made millions with that dude. But, Evagrius, according to John Mark Comer, kind of created the most sophisticated demonology in all of ancient Christianity. And the most surprising feature of Evagrius' paradigm is his claim that the fight against demonic temptation is a fight against what he called logosmoi, a Greek word that can be translated as a fight against thoughts, thought patterns, internal narratives, or internal belief structures. They're the content of our thought lives, the mental markers by which we navigate life. And for Evagrius, he saw that the thoughts that run through our mind are not always just thoughts. Sometimes they are thoughts with a malignant will behind them, a dark animating force of evil. And so what Evagrius teaches is that our fight against the evil one and our fight against temptation is a fight to take back control of our minds from the lies of the enemy and to liberate our minds with God's truth. And what's so kind of crazy about this is that you know in the fourth century there was all sorts of like exorcism things and they're starting to get into like weird rituals about demons and all this kind of stuff and Evagrius says hey wait a minute we don't need to do any of that stuff it's about the lies we believe and the truth that God has and if we can reject the lies of the enemy and replace it with God's truth we will win and so I just wanna pause for a moment because I think a major point needs to be made here that I kinda thought that this was obvious, but in talking to people, I found that this is not an obvious thing and the point I wanna make is this. Temptation and being tempted is not a sin. Every single person will experience temptation, sometimes multiple times a day. Now, acting on temptation may often lead into sin, but having temptation, having thoughts that are untrue, having an urge to do something you know is hurtful to yourself or to others or is against God's good plan for your life is not wrong. Every time a lie, a temptation comes into your mind, it is an opportunity to replace that lie with truth truth that you find in God's word or the truth that we find by being led by the Holy Spirit. So temptation is not sin. What you choose to do with that temptation is what is important. I'll point out to you that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and did not sin. In fact, the temptation that Jesus experienced simply gave Jesus the opportunity to stand on truth. And so temptation can actually be a place where we draw nearer to God. And what the enemy of our souls planned for evil, God can often turn to good. However, if we feel ashamed of being tempted, that is prime opportunity for the enemy to send us another lie. The lie being, look how weak you are. These thoughts that you have, they are disgusting. No good Christian would think the way you do. You must be a great sinner to have thoughts like this. That's actually a lie of the enemy. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted and did not sin. But the enemy wants to take those thoughts and then kind of rise the shame up in you because shame makes us want to run and hide. So that's a deceptive lie of the enemy. If we believe it, it makes it that much harder to fight lies with truth because we're ashamed then to come boldly to Jesus in our time of need. So I just want to mention that. The temptation is not sin, but temptation drives us closer to God. Now, I've mentioned lies and the enemy a few times, and of course, when I say the enemy, I mean the evil one, as Jesus refers to him here, Satan and the evil beings who follow him. So we acknowledge that temptation and the lies that go through our minds are linked with a spiritual enemy that we have, and I just want to answer that question more fully, where does temptation come from? So a lot of temptation is simply generated in our own hearts and in our own minds. We all have a predisposition towards selfishness and looking out for ourselves at the expense of others. We find that even our own hearts lie to us. Our hearts are deceitful things, like the relapsing alcoholic who can tell himself, I can have a beer, I deserve it today. Right? That's just their own flesh manufacturing a desire and a lie. And so although temptation often begins with us, with our own kind of... uh, predisposition towards selfishness and towards kind of putting our needs ahead of others' needs, we also want to acknowledge that there is a whole world around us that promises us happiness, pleasure, or satisfaction. The world system is often designed in such a way that we could satisfy our own desires, whatever those desires might be. I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, there was a big scandal when the website Ashley Madison had their client list exposed. And it was a massive scandal because the entire website, Ashley Madison, was made for people who wanted to have an affair. It was made specifically for people who were married to have an opportunity to cheat on their spouse. And so for anyone who had believed the internal lie that they would find happiness or satisfaction in encounters outside their marriage, the world made it easy for them to do so. So, we have a world system that if we feel tempted to do something, there's most likely a way we can indulge in that temptation. And the world system often validates the lies we are believing, the lie being, there's a website for it, it can't be that bad, a lot of people are doing it. Right? Well, it's like this this is just normal human behavior. And finally, the third thing is there is a spiritual enemy of the human soul, the evil one and his followers who seek to destroy, to lie, and to kill. And so humans are the targets of spiritual attack and often spiritual attack comes in the form of temptation, to do something wrong which will ultimately damage our relationship with God, not that God loves us any less, but we start to feel that shame and and we start to pull away Um, or it's gonna hurt our relationship with other people or it's even going to hurt us, causing us to do something so terrible that we start to feel that great shame rise up in us, sometimes to the point where a person begins to hate themselves because they go, I can't believe how terrible I am. And so what we see then is temptation, Deception, lies are a powerful tool of the enemy. In fact, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. This is where he works. I think a lot of times people think, you know, something demonic is gonna be like your bed shaking in the middle of the night or doors slamming or something like that. I'm not saying that couldn't happen, but actually what is more common is it's thoughts running through your mind unchecked, unfiltered, lies that you believe about God, lies you believe about yourself, lies that you believe about other people. And so to answer the question, where does temptation come from? Well, it comes from three places. Us, our flesh, the world, and the devil. That is what scripture tells us. And all three of these things often work together. Our hearts might desire something sinful, the world presents us an opportunity to have it, and the evil forces continue to put the tempting thoughts through us, giving us lies like, I deserve it, or it's not that big of a deal, or no one will find out, or everyone does it, it's not that big of a a deal. And so the more that we live into these lies, and not into truth, the more those lies begin to shape our identity. M. Scott Peck, who is a psychiatrist who came to faith later in life, wrote a book called People of the Lie. And in this book, it's his reflections as a psychiatrist, trying to put faith and science together, trying to explain kind of some of the things we see in humanity, And one of the things that he came up with with was this. The way people become evil is through lies. So his basic thesis was this, that when we believe lies and let those lies into our bodies, we start to act out those lies, we live out those lies, tragically, they often become a kind of shadow side of the truth. We become what we never really were. But as we believe lies about ourselves, as we live according to those lies, it twists us into a shadow of reality. As a psychologist, David Benner, put it, it's not so much that we tell lies as we live them. We live into this false narrative that goes through our mind. Right? Again, I go back to those recovering alcoholics. You're a good for nothing, so you live out a life like that because that is the internal narrative that you believe. John Mark Comer gives us an example of what this looks like in everyday life when he writes this. Suppose you believe the lie that you are unlovable. Wherever you picked up that lie in your life journey could be a broken relationship with your parents, a breakup, a failure, a demonic deposit into your mind. And then if you let that lie into your body, into your neurobiology, you let that lie give shape to your behavior. Because you don't believe you're worthy of love, You either let people treat you in ways that are disrespectful or demeaning, or you treat other people, you act in ways that are disrespectful and demeaning. It's because you're living out a lie. And if you live into this lie long enough, tragically, what was false starts to become true. You eventually do become the kind of person that is not worthy of love and respect. And you alienate yourself from the very relationships you crave. We do need to say, like all wounds of the soul, this can be healed through loving relationships and truth, and ideally through loving relationships with God, whom Jesus calls Father, and his family, the church, and through the truth of your identity as a daughter or son of God. But the point is this, when we live into the lies, lies can distort our souls and drive us into ruin. So to be clear, temptation is not sin. But temptation, lies, and deception are incredibly dangerous to the human soul, easily lead us into places we never want to be and into people we never expected we would end up being. And so Jesus, as he ends the teaching on prayer, he ends with these words, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Quick note here, I know a lot of us when we come to the end of the Lord's Prayer, we're like, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. The reason we're not doing that uh, is because that's in the King James Version only. No other scripture has it. No other, they go, this is not in the oldest manuscript. So I thought, okay, let's stick with what Jesus said. Uh, Let's stick with what we have in our oldest manuscripts, kind of the best documented uh, words of Jesus, and that's why we're stopping there. And Jesus stops, I just think it's interesting that Jesus stops there. Lead us not at temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Now the way Jesus phrases the words here, I don't know if you've kind of been tracking with this, but it's kind of interesting, because it kind of seems like Jesus is praying, if you're kind of following the flow of the Lord's prayer, it sort of seems like Jesus is praying, Father, do not lead us into sin except we know that God does not lead us into sin. James makes that very clear in the book of James when he writes, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So if you are looking for places in scripture where it seems that scripture contradicts itself, can I say you have a prime candidate here? Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation and then James says, God doesn't lead you into temptation. Okay, so what's going on here? I want to add a little bit of complexity to this as well. To add to the complexity, we see that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil in that place. God didn't do the tempting, but the wording of all the Gospels make it clear that it was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness where temptation was certain to occur. So before we move on, let's just understand what's happening in Scripture. Scripture. The first place I want to start is understanding the mission of Jesus going into the wilderness where he is certain to be tempted is a unique mission of Jesus. Evagrius, for all of his wisdom and all the things he learned in the wilderness, never should have done that. That He didn't need to do what Jesus did. Jesus has already done it. It's not necessary for a monk to go out and do this thing. God graced him in his faithfulness, but he didn't need to do it. The mission of Jesus in the wilderness is not going to be our experience. So why do I say Jesus' mission was unique? Well, we understand from Scripture that Jesus came as a type of second Adam. We just sang that in one of our songs. It's one of the names. You are the second Adam here to lead us home. So what does that mean, Jesus is the second Adam? Well, where the first man, Adam, was tempted by a lie of the enemy and gave in to that lie and gave in to sin. Remember, that's the very first thing. Temptation, deception, a lie, Adam's sins. Where Adam gave in to sin and temptation, Jesus triumphed. Where the first man tasted death and defeat, Jesus, the second Adam, conquered death and has the victory. So in our flesh, we're united with the original Adam, his defeat, uh, sin, and death are inherited by us. That's why we have this predisposition towards selfishness, towards doing uh, whatever is best for us at the, you know, kind of pushing others down to look after our own. And uh, through, but then, so that's our inheritance through Adam, But through Jesus, the second Adam, and our union with him through faith, we then inherit the victory and the spiritual life that Jesus won. So I want you to remember this point whenever you're thinking about temptation or as we face temptation. It is our union with Jesus that will enable us to walk away from temptation and towards God. It's not willpower, but spiritual power to overcome. So we see that Jesus was uniquely led into the wilderness into temptation, in a sense, to find victory where Adam found only defeat. And we who are united with Christ will find our victory in Christ's victory, not only his victory in the wilderness, but his victory on the cross and over the grave as well. His victories are our victories through faith in him. Yet Jesus does tell us to pray that we would not be led into temptation. So how are we to understand this in light of the fact that scripture is clear that God doesn't tempt anyone? There's a lot of different scholars who kind of try and come up with an answer to this, and I would say the best understanding is simply understanding this part of the prayer to be a prayer of protection. Remember, it's not just lead us not into temptation, it's also deliver us from the evil one. And so it seems that Jesus is reminding us to ask that God, our Father, would keep our minds focused on him that he would help us recognize the schemes and the attacks of the enemy. And Jesus then sees our primary war against the devil as a fight to believe truth over lies. And I want to go just a little bit deeper into how we, into how we combat lies and temptation by going right into Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It's in Matthew chapter 4 is where I'm going to read from. Verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell the stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. He, they will lift up the, you in their hands, and so that you will not even strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's a couple of things that I think we learn about dealing with temptation and dealing with the evil one in Jesus' example for us in the wilderness. David Chaka points out that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit's power, confronted the demonic power, quoting spirit inspired scripture, relying on the written word of God to combat the lies of the enemy. And I I just think it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't just, like, think this. He spoke this out loud to the tempter. He spoke these things out loud to Scripture, addressing the area of temptation, speaking directly to the tempter about it, using Scripture as his guide to throw off satanic tempting and attack. And just the biggest thing, I think, to notice, to the lies and the deception of Satan, because here's the thing. Satan didn't just lie. He deceived. And there's a little bit of a difference there between a lie and deception. A lie is something that, you know, totally false, pretty easily to combat. Deception is usually a truth wrapped in a lie. There's a little bit of truth to it. There's a little bit of of, um, realness to it. It's not just a a complete nonsense thing. It's deception. That's really where the first Adam fell. And even for Jesus, you know, when, when Satan is making these promises, they're not empty promises or else it's not good temptation. So Jesus sees the deception and then stands on the truth of God's word. He countered the deceptive lies of Satan with truth. And so notice that Jesus had been filled with the Spirit and used the word of God. And both of these together, the leading of the Spirit and the power of the word of Scripture, come together to direct us in our battle with temptation and the evil one. Both the Holy Spirit and the word of God are truth. They lead us into truth to counteract the lies of the enemy we see that Satan was really trying to do the same tactic of deception with Jesus that he tried with Adam. Where Adam and Eve believed the deceptive lie, Jesus rejected the lie and repeated truth to counteract the lie. Right? Every time Satan came in and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus comes in and counteracts it with the truth of God's word. And so our primary weapon against temptation is to pray, to be filled with the Holy Spirit's presence and power, and to use scripture against the thoughts, this is one of the things I've done with some people when they, I've worked with a few guys who struggle with lust or pornography and uh, usually I'm like, okay, when your mind starts moving in that direction, there's a, there's a scripture passage I like to use. It's at the end of Psalm. Uh, I'm blanking on the Psalm now. I don't have it in my notes. Uh, but basically the idea is, uh, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord my God. And as soon as the thought comes in, as soon as you recognize the, the, uh, the lust or the degradation or whatever it is, I need you to reject the thought and replace it with the words of Scripture. Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord my God. And it's amazing how if they are dedicated to that, <clears throat> in the first couple of months they're like, it feels like I'm going insane. I'm like, yes, this is the first time you've ever tracked your thought life. The first time you've ever recognized how often lust runs through your mind. And so those first few months are really difficult. But as they start to replace the lie with the truth of Scripture, three, four months, five months down, they go, it's really loosening its hold on me. Where in the first few months, I was doing this like, it felt like hundreds of times in a day. It's only a couple dozen times. It's only a few times. And the more they live into that, the more those lies weaken their hold. It's almost, if you want to go into uh, science, it's neuroplasticity. It's retraining the brain. It's retraining the thought patterns. But there's a Holy Spirit power in that as well. But John Mark, and so it's really replacing the lies of the enemy with truth at the speed of thought. And I think this is a part of what Paul meant when he said pray continuously. It's to recognize what's going on in your internal thought life and to bring every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, as John Mark Comer points out, he says, the devil's lies aren't just random, untrue facts with no emotional value. It's not like the lie is something silly like Elvis is still alive, believe me, right? Like, who cares? You know, that's, that's a no value lie. It has no emotional bearing on your life. A quick Google search will put that lie to rest unless you believe Elvis is still alive. You that's silly, but you can. <laughs> it's not gonna hurt you. I mean, it's you know, everyone around you is going to be like, okay, you're a little off, right? But it's not leading you into harm. That's not the type of lies that the enemy deals in. But John Mark Homer gives this example. What about this type of a lie? This is the thought that might go through your head. Hey, you deserve to be happy. And let's face it, you haven't been happy in this marriage in years. Your wife just isn't the right fit for you. Not her fault. It happens. It happens. You were married way too young, before you were self-aware, and this, just, this relationship just isn't what you expected it would be. And if you divorce her, there's probably a better fit for her anyways, and a better fit for you, and you'd both be happier. That's actually just as flagrant of a lie as a lie that Elvis is still alive. Because if you were to do a quick Google search on that, you'd find out that long-term relationships generally lead to health and leaving healthy marriages to pursue the fantasy of a better romance almost never ends in success and it always leads to hurt. I have not yet walked with a couple through that type of process where there's not some deep damage done to somebody. It will always damage somebody. But the lie that I hear from people is it's going to be better for us. There's exceptions to that rule. I've also walked with people who've, you know, they're in a marriage where there's abuse going on and stuff like that. And I go, listen, this is an unsafe environment for you. But I've also worked with people who I'm like, why are you separating? I'm just not happy. We're not really happy. Like, okay. If you think you're going to be happier on the other side, I got news for you. Statistically speaking, that's just not going to happen. Right? And, And breaking your covenants and that is not going to be good for you. But this is how these lies work. For some people, this lie doesn't land. But for other people, they start to believe it because maybe it hits you in questions you've had. Maybe it hits some deep fracture in your soul. Maybe it comes a few months you know, after your relationship. You know, every marriage goes through ups and downs. So maybe it comes you know, after a season where your marriage has just been a little bit shaky. You're just not on the same page. You're having a few more arguments. And then this thought starts to circulate. And you've got some kind of issue in your own life that you haven't dealt with. And that lie starts to take root. These are the things that need to be prayed over. These are the lies and the deceptions that we need to go, wait a minute, this isn't true. This isn't truth. So how then do we pray for protection against evil? How exactly do we pray against temptation? My recommendation for you is that if there are hundreds of negative thoughts swirling around in your mind, if you feel like you're constantly looking for an escape from life or from reality, there's a lot of lies and half-truths you are combating, these are the things that need to be brought into the light through prayer. And this is how we renew our mind with truth as scripture instructs. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And again, this is all about truth. Put on the truth that you've heard from him. Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Paul also says do not conform to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will. This is prayer to renew your mind with truth and replace lies with truth. And so here as we close today I just want to give you just a couple of things that you can do when you come to this part of the prayer. There's, there's part of this which is going at the speed of thought. It's going, what are the things I think about? Where are the places my mind goes? Is it true or is it false? And if it's false, what is the truth I need to replace the, the lie with truth? But then there's a deeper thing you can do when you have a more dedicated time in prayer. Take some time to ask the Holy Spirit this question. What are the lies I am believing? And then we can break this question down into three parts. What are the lies I am believing about the people around me? Maybe the lie is... Nobody really cares about me. Maybe the lie is, nobody really knows me, and if they did know me, they wouldn't like me. Second, what are the lies I am believing about myself? I'm not good enough. God doesn't really love me. I'm a fraud. Nobody is as messed up as me. Alternatively, lies that are spoken to you about yourself can be not negative but positive and lead you into pride. The lie can be, I've got this life mostly figured out. I don't know why others are so slow. Glad I'm not as misled as so-and-so over there. I wish people would see how right I am. I always get these things right. Third, what, about, what are the lies I'm believing about my circumstances? Maybe the lie is, I need an escape. It's fine if I use pornography or overindulge in alcohol. It's just a quick escape for me. Or maybe the lie is, everybody does whatever it takes to get ahead, So if I want to compete in the marketplace, I've got to lie like everybody lies. I've got to cheat like everybody cheats, or I'm going to get left behind. Maybe the lie is God won't really provide for me. I need to hoard what I have so I always have enough, leading you into greed. And so as we end today, I just want to encourage you that with the Holy Spirit work with us, we can battle temptation and overcome. And actually, as you battle temptation, you will walk closer with Jesus, drink more deeply from his word, and rely on his power at work within us. I'm going to call the worship team up as we close. But I want to say, anytime I've worked with people who are battling deep temptation or deep addiction to things, and they actually make a commitment to walk closely with Jesus through the temptation, at the end of it, they go, I am so much closer to Jesus now than I ever believed I could have been. So when you were sorely tempted, that's the time to run to Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus understands your weakness. He understands the power of temptation. So scripture says, come boldly to him in your time of need. Don't try and hide. Don't try and willpower it away. Come to him in your time of need. And here's the biggest lie of the enemy. And that's why I kept mentioning it. Shame will keep you from coming to the throne. And Jesus understands. So that's why the scripture says, in your time of need, when you are sorely pressed, when the temptation has you in its grip, come to Jesus. I think so often we've been taught in the church sometimes you got to clean yourself up before you get to God. you you got to present yourself perfect before you can come to God. And what scripture is telling us is like, hey, when you are in the midst of your temptation, when you are overwhelmed, come boldly to the throne room of our gracious God to find help in your time of need. And finally, I want you to know that the enemy cannot win, no matter what. Nothing can snatch you from the Father's hand. Nothing can block the love that God has for you. Even if you give in to temptation and you sin, if we confess Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we over, here's how it works. The victory is always God's. If we overcome temptation, well, Jesus wins the victory by his power at work in us. If we fail and give in to temptation, but we, are, we confess and are forgiven, Jesus wins the victory for he has forgiven us. The enemy of our souls and even the brokenness of our human nature are not strong enough to stand against the victory Christ won for us through his death and his resurrection. But if you want to live the abundant life, then you want to live in truth and not in lie. If you want to live in a way that is spirit-filled, Then you want to live in truth and not in lies. Let me read this scripture over us. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I know the power of lies and I know that there are people here today who they have had lies running through their minds that maybe they haven't even recognized. So Holy Spirit, today in this place, I pray that your light would shine in the darkness. I pray that your voice of truth would speak to the voice of the lie. I pray that we begin to recognize the lies that we've believed and that you would give us the power to replace those lies with truth. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead us into places of righteousness and abundant life. Lead us away from the lies. Protect us from the evil one. Keep us from temptation. Let us be people who walk in the light, who walk in the truth, and who walk in step with your Spirit. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.